Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturated, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I'm joined by my friend, my good friend, Kate Deering. Welcome back, Kate, author of How to Heal Your Metabolism. She's working on a new book too, which is exciting. It is exciting. And I'm always happy to be here. Always to have a good chat with you. Kate always tells me that my microphone looks like a big penis. Mm, yeah. Hopefully someone, well, not hopefully, I'm sure someone will get offended by that comment, but you know what? It does. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> um, today we today we are reviewing Fast Like a Girl by Dr. Mindy. How do you say her last name? Pe- Mindy Pels. Pels. Yeah, because we get a lot of people message us saying, what do you think about this book? And I actually have not read all of it. I tried, but I kept falling asleep. <laughs> like I would read it at night. And uh, Kate Kate has read it. And I did just, read it. There's just, even at the start, even the first few chapters, there's just she says things and I think that's actually not, like that doesn't make sense. You, there you know, is a like, bit of that. Yeah. yeah, so maybe we'll just go through yeah. it. And I think because yeah. I... I read it and I highlighted some things and there, there are some things in here I, I do agree with her about mm. in the context of what she says. Sometimes I don't agree with how she, or the, kind of the factors of why she thinks that, but mm. um, maybe we'll just kind of walk through the book. Mm. We can all have, I got, this could be like a book club and start talking about uh, from the beginning. All right, well, so you want to go to the highlighted areas where you've, and I'll go, we'll to, go the to the uh, beginning where it's like, it's not your fault. <clears throat> and I think she talks about how the dieting industry is not your fault because you've been told kind of the wrong things. Yeah. And so oh, here she we go. has the failed five. Oh, yeah. Which uh, some of these I would agree with what she says, like number one, calorie restrictive diets. Yeah. I would agree that those can be quite detrimental in the context of if you keep doing them they can certainly create some metabolic adaptations. Mm. Um, Where I had some discrepancies in this little bit about calorie restrictions is she did note the Minnesota starvation experiment. Yes. Which is a very famous experiment done back in 1944 to 1945 by Ansel Keys. And it was basically to show, they wanted to, see what kind of rehabilitation people would need after severe starving. So he developed a essentially 12 month, or I think it was 13 month study um, where they initially, I think there was about 30, 36 men, I think four went out. So there ended up be 32 men. The first 12 weeks was a control to see how many calories they needed at baseline. So mm-hmm. they established that 12 weeks was 3,200 calories. And then for the next 24 weeks, they put them in to a starvation mode. So they basically cut the calories in half. So a little less than 1,600 calories. And that was for 24 weeks only. And then the rest was rehabilitation. I I got a little weirded out because initially in her book, she says it dates back to the 1960s, which it's not 1960s. And she said the experiment is, they said that we're slowly putting them to like a, wait a minute, 
was progressively lowering the amounts of food until they settled in on a 1500 calorie diet. Mm. So that's not really what happened at all. Mm -hmm. Anytime I think that you, this is a major massive study, which is one of the best and the only one we'll probably have on like starvation mm. that's controlled. So, so that's not what happened. Um, it, the, 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 the starvation per period was only 24 weeks. And they did find what she said in there. They did find that right after these men lost, I believe, like 25% of their weight. They had low energy, anxiety, muscle loss, and everything that would happen. It was tons of metabolic adaptations occurred during that period of time. And that certainly is a, a, a argument for super low caloric diets. Now, most people aren't going and cutting their calories in half, although some do. I think this experiment was great in showing that when the 24 weeks were done, the rehabilitation process, so they actually divided the men up into four groups and had them rehabilitate by adding either 400, 800, 1200, or 1600 calories to their diet. Mm. And none of them made them get better, actually. Um, they, they did that for the next, I think, next 12 weeks. And then after that, they let them eat whatever they want. And some of the men after that, and I think it shows you also what dieting does, they were turned into massive bingers. They were eating upwards of 10,000 calories at a time. All they could still think about was food. And it, it took them upwards, you know, an average thing of 4,000 calories a day to completely rehabilitate after a year. And at that point in time, they did get back up to their original weight. But at that point, they were much fatter. Mm. I think they had lost about 10 pounds of muscle and gained 10 pounds of fat. So their body composition was quite different. So it is a great example of, calorie restriction. Although, like I said, we don't really do that. What most people do in our world is they just do repetitive calorie restrictive diets over and over and over. Usually they're not at a 50% deficit. They're usually maybe at a 20 or 30 or 50. I don't know. Mm. But point being is they can have extreme effects on your system and the rehabilitation to get out of that can be quite long, right? Mm. Their, their dieting was 24 weeks and it took them over a year to rehabilitate themselves just from that single diet. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I liked it because, you know, what do people, you know, most people have been dieting for eons, decades, and then want to start rehabilitating or eat to support their metabolisms, you know, and, and want to be better in 90 days or whatever that looked like. Anyways, mm -hmm. I thought it was an interesting that she put that in there because moving forward in her book, a lot of her recommendations, I would say were quite calorically restrictive. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's parts of it that she promotes almost like a ketogenic diet or different phases of what she thinks that she should be eating. And when I looked at how she was kind of recommending her food, you know, these dietary approaches could be, you know, as low as 1300 calories as to what she was recommending. Also, and those would be on non-fasting days. So I just thought that was interesting. Mm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that whole component. Well, I didn't get further enough to actually read her dietary <laughs> recommendations. So... <laughs> Because I kept falling asleep. Oh, uh, yeah, it's not good. I know you when you get in your bed, you are like, it's it's sleep time, right? <clears throat> yeah, because I just do the red light, you know, like do 15 minutes of red light and the breath work while I do the red light. And then when I get into bed and try and read the book, I'm like, <laughs> four pages, five pages. And I need to not read. I need to read it at not at night. That's probably yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so my first evaluation, though, of this was when I read it, I just thought it was odd that there was just some misrepresentation of that study. It, it, mm. How she 
wrote about it is not exactly what happened in that study. And since that study is really famous, certainly when it comes to how to recover from diet restriction, but what actually happens when we restrict our diet and the metabolic adaptations our body goes through, I think that th that kind of set the stage for what I was going to continue to read. Mm. So It's interesting though, that she talks about that, but then recommends eating 1300 calories. Well, she doesn't say that specifically. She yeah. does give like specific percentages of what she thinks of how much fat. Cause she, she, mm. like I said, she, her, she has a pseudo kind of ketogenic a diet approach when she does give food recommendations mm. and it doesn't specifically say that amount, but she says, you know, you should have a minimum of this much fat and, and, but, but also having uh, mm. only so much protein and so much carbs, and then the rest can be fat. And if I bottom lined her recommendations, they would, would be a starting at 1300 calories. Mm. It could offer some le level of increase, but I just thought that that was interesting. And it, certainly when you're decreasing a feeding window, which is what intermittent fasting is, right? You're just decreasing how many mm. hours that you're eating. Most people just end up eating less. Yeah. Right. If I gave yeah. you four hours to eat versus 16 hours to eat, more than likely you're not going to eat as much food in that four hours than you would mm. in 16 hours. And that will lead you to just eating less, which could create some effects because you're just mm. eating less. So mm. yeah. Anyway. Okay, so the, the number two thing she talks about was poor food quality choices is part mm -hmm. of what's happening to us, which I agree with that. I mm -hmm. think we are, we do have shitty food. We have a lot of ultra pro processed food in our world that is creating a lot of problems. And um, is it Kevin Hall has done a bunch of studies on that? Mm. And, and, and they did studies on giving people the same macro diets, one being not ultra processed and mm. one being ultra processed, calorically macros, protein, everything else was the same. And what they found was that people that had the ultra processed food just ate like 500 more calories a day. So it just, you can just show that when, because we're eating more ultra processed, people are just eating more mm. because I, whether the food's not filling them up, whether there's chemicals in the food, whatever. Mm. So I'm going to agree with Dr. Mindy on number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kitty. Okay. Did you get to the spiking cortisol surges? Yes. What page is that on? Page, page eight. She talks about mm. the detriment that when cortisol goes up, so does mm. insulin which does happen. So the whole point of cortisol is to elevate your blood sugar under stress. And when your blood sugar elevates, then insulin will elevate to reduce blood sugar. Mm. And when that occurs, cortisol should be reduced, right? That, that entire mm. effect should happen, but in a stressed, body or an unhealthy body that doesn't happen right so cortisol surges that happen that dysregulate are more because the body is dysregulated like people aren't just having cortisol surges it's because they're having stress and cortisol mm. is responding to the stress right cortisol is there to keep you alive it's not bad it's just when they're chronically elevated is when you have a problem the most interesting thing is that Fasting 
yeah. increases cortisol. <laughs> In fact, I don't know if I found this study or I pulled up. There's a, there's a study about the effects of intermittent fasting on circulating levels and circadian rhythms of hormones. Um, and in there, it says for humans, cortisol begins to increase immediately after fasting starts. Five day fasting increases cortisol levels and shifts to peak from the morning to the afternoon and other fasting experiments from two to five, two to six days dramatically elevates plasma cortisol levels. So that's a little of a contradiction. I mean, obviously, yes, I think cortisol issues can be a problem. It's because again, the system is not regulating. And the body's trying to find fuel and whether it's because the body can't utilize the fuel that's coming in for a number of different reasons, or there's just no fuel coming in and it's trying to find some and mm. that will happen when you're fasting. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, so she's, she's contradicting herself. Well, in a way, yeah. I mean, when you go into, yeah, I mean, we know that that's what happens with fasting, right? Mm. I mean, we know when you don't eat for a certain amount of time, your your body still needs to regulate. It's got to find fuel somewhere. Mm. It doesn't just start consuming a 100% fat, mm. right? It just doesn't. Even if you are completely keto adapted, mm. you will use ketones, but you'll still need some glucose. Your brain still needs some, your red blood cells still need some. You still will always need some glucose. So your body's gonna have to find it somewhere. So, mm. um, and so usually those stress hormones are much more elevated in that fasted state. Mm. So number four, <laughs> um, I think she states about exposure to toxic ingredients, mm. which I would agree that's problem. Um, what she does say in there though, is she says that toxic ingredients are stored as fat. So and that's, well, yeah, it's, they're stored in the fat. That's correct. Yeah, it's like yeah. Not, they're not converted to fat. No. 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 Your toxins can't convert, convert to, fat. to fat. Only yeah. energy stored can convert mm. to fat. But yes, usually you store your toxins in your mm. fat. They don't turn into fat. And then she, at some point, she also says somewhere in her book that insulin is stored as fat and that also cannot happen, right? Mm. Mm. Insulin can store excess calories into fat, but insulin itself doesn't store as fat. Sorry, I just oh. I was going to ask you what, 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 obviously the next one, the one size fits all approach. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting how she said about that your hormones have like progesterone wants to keep your cut like estrogen, for example, has a low loves a low carbohydrate diet. Yeah, I, okay. yeah. yeah. I had to say, I mean, I was like, okay, let me try to think about what she's trying to say, right? Because she does make these claims, right? And mm. that's part of what she's saying. This is that's why this is fasting like a girl, right? Because you mm. should fast certain times at different mm. times of your month. And, you know, and, and because estrogen loves a low carb diet, that's when you should kind of go ketogenic and maybe mm. go into more fast or longer fast. Mm. And I was trying to understand, okay, what is the physiological nature of that? And why does she, like, there's no, first of all, let's just conclude. There's absolutely no studies on this. 
There's yeah. no studies showing that progesterone wants you to keep your carbs higher or estrogen and, loves a low carb diet. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, obviously when you ovulate and progesterone is a pro-metabolic hormone, so it increases your body temperature and you like That's you right. might, from that perspective, eat some yeah. more calories because it's... Exactly. Yeah. But it's not, it doesn't love carbohydrates. Like it just right. increases your body's need for energy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think her wording is confusing. Mm. Like you can't take it literally and maybe she wasn't trying to make it literal, mm. but the yes. So when you post ovulation and you have more progesterone, yeah, the need for more calories increases at that mm. point. Right. Because the, 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 that part of your cycle, the, the luteal phase and the accumulation of your, your endometrial lining is a metabolically expensive process. It takes mm. more energy for that to happen. And that's why so many women have cravings during that part of their cycle. You know, they're mm. more hungry or they feel less frat or they feel more frazzled, mm. right? Because they're just adding one more thing to their load of stress, right? Mm. It's the thing that kind of pushes them over versus that it just loves carbohydrates, right? Mm. And what I think most people don't understand when we actually look at hormone measurements during your cycle, right? What do we always think? We always think that progesterone is, is higher during the luteal phase, which it is by a long shot. But in the follicular phase or in that first part of your cycle, we're like, oh, estrogen is much higher. Because if you look at all the charts, it looks like it's all higher, right? Mm -hmm. When we actually look, but we measure estrogen normally in a much smaller measurement than, than what progesterone. So progesterone is measured in uh, nanograms per milliliter and, um, estrogen is measured in picograms per milliliter. So if we actually put them in the same measurement, so it always looks like they're almost equal when you look at your labs, but it's your progesterone is actually much, much higher. And so if you actually put them into the exact same measurements for the, a good part of even your follicular phase, your progesterone will be higher. And there's ranges, right? It's like anywhere from 100 to 700 picograms per milliliter. That's for progesterone and estrogen could be anywhere from two and it, and it peaks to 400, mm. uh, 200 to 400 picograms per milliliter. So, so when you say things like estrogen <laughs> loves like um, a low carb diet, but I'm like, well, if that's true, both of those hormones are present at the same time. So it's just a very confusing statement to me. Like there's no biological understanding of that mm. because both those hormones are present at both times of your cycle. And quite honestly, the progesterone in most parts of the cycle is actually higher, even though I know that it looks in the chart that it's not. Mm. Um, so, you know, if what her statement was progesterone wants you to keep carbs high, then that, that would make me think, well, they should be kept high all the time, all time. because it's technically, and yeah. you know, we, we would both agree that that would, would be a true statement that not that you do need, right? I mean, when you actually think about all of these things that are like, this is how you should work out to your cycle. This is how you should mm -hmm. fast your cycle or whatever. <laughs> in, in my opinion, it's like, just eat to support yourself I, and yeah. understand that your cycle is another metabolic process and that you might just need more calories during mm -hmm. that time period. And if you do that, then you can do whatever the hell you want. It yeah. doesn't matter about anything else, right? But if you don't do any of that, you will feel more fragile due to those time points. And yes, if you're freaking not having carbs in your follicular phase, yeah, having some more carbs in your luteal phase is going to feel a hell of a lot better. Mm. But it doesn't mean you can't have them in your follicular phase. You could, mm. right? There's just mm. no rhyme or reason why you should have to go on a 13-hour, 16-hour, three-day fast or whatever. Yeah. Other than, you know, whatnot. Yeah.
totally. I don't know if there's anything you with else. me on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when so I read that, that was, I was like, oh. yeah, that was, yeah, I, I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, same. <laughs> um, all right, anything else in that bit? Um, I think there's just some statements. Let's see, I highlighted. Um, there's some things that you say, like take eight hours to shift to a fat burning after a mm. last meal. I think because she's trying to say uh, one reason you should fast is to you're shifting into fat burning. And I, and I think what most people don't know, or I don't know, maybe they do, or is that you are always burning all resources all the time. You're burning mm. fat, you're burning carbs, you might even be eating a little bit of protein pretty much all the time. Right. There's never a point of the day where you're burning just, just carbs yeah, or just, just yeah. fat. Yeah. yeah. Now there's times where you're burning more fat. Like when you're at rest, you just tend to utilize your cells will kind of shift over to utilizing more fat as fuel. And then of course, when you're exercising and the more intense that exercises, you'll start using more carbohydrates. It's just a quicker fuel source. So that's what your body tends to do. But if you're just kind of sitting or walking, you know, you might be burning 50 or 50% of each. Um, so after eight hours of fasting, probably that's when you depleted all your glycogen stores. So you might be dipping more into fat stores at that point in time, mm. but it's not that you're sh completely, you know what I'm saying? It was almost like this switch occurred and now you're just burning yeah. fat. And you weren't before. Yeah. And that, that means you're going to lose weight. Like you can still burn fat and eat at maintenance, like a high fat diet. Yeah. And like, it's, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how, I mean, all throughout the day, it's probably like when you eat a meal, if you can't use all those calories, you might store some of the fat as fat. And mm. then in between you're not eating, you might pull some of that fat out of your fat tissue and use it as fuel. It's mm. kind of this process that's going on all day long, right? Mm. It's not like there's just like an end day, you know, like <laughs> the day's over and now you're yeah. like, okay, <laughs> we, we need to pull some extra fat out or we need to add some extra fat. It's just happening all day long, right? You're, yeah. you're constantly, and, and certainly if you eat, end up eating in a deficit, then what mm. your body is burning, you eat less, then yeah, there, there will be more of a, a withdrawal of fat from mm. your tissues to kind of make up for that. But it also could be, there could be some withdrawals of breaking down muscle tissue or connective mm. tissue or whatever else. We definitely mm. know in times of starvation, that you lose muscle mass at a much higher rate that you can like chew up your thymus gland in mm. these times, because that's what your body goes after. Mm. So, you know, if you don't, can't eat your body's like, Hey, this muscle tissue <clears throat> is very metabolically expensive. It, mm. it takes more energy to keep it going at rest. And since you don't have any energy coming in, well, let's just get rid of some of it because mm. it's too energy expensive. So, you know, that's kind of, the thought process. And for what I've read, the fasts that are the most successful are the ones where people go fast and they're literally like at a clinic and they don't do anything, but they're resting <laughs> the whole yeah. time. And we, and we know when you're resting, you actually do burn or utilize or oxidize a much higher percentage of fat. So for those, it would probably be a lot safer because you're not having to think or do, or, you know, all these other, you're not exercising you're not doing any of those things. So that can be a lot safer than if you're like, you know, trying to exercise and work and do a three day fast 
Mm. Yeah, you're going to, to utilize some level of your own mm. tissue to keep yourself going during that time period. Mm. Okay. It's stressful. Okay. Um. So, <clears throat> okay, I got this page 17 mm -hmm. highlighted. Um, she states in here that the authors declared, she was stating a... Mm -hmm. the uh, effects of intermittent fasting on health aging and disease and it states she declared that intermittent fasting should be used as the first line of defense in obesity diabetes cardiovascular disease neurodegenerative diseases and cancer but like she says that's what the authors were saying uh, yeah an interesting uh, sorry she like the bit about like it's changing when you eat not what you eat oh yeah yeah you're right yeah so like, she so yeah <laughs> She made a claim in there that it was yeah. actually more important that the, the, the meal window yeah. is more important than what you're actually eating. And even though before she said that food quality was certainly yeah. part, which I agree with that. But when she said, because they, they actually in what she was referen referencing, there was a study yeah. where they had, I think, I don't know if it was obese people or, or what it was, but they had them either eat in a 10 hour window or a 14 yeah. hour window. Right. So you can only have 10 hours to eat or you can have 14 hours to eat. And then they, they just let them eat whatever they wanted. Mm. And the people that ate in the 10 hour window got better results. Mm. So the, the conclusion was it was more important to just give them a less of a timing window. And that was better for their health, regardless of what they ate. Well, do you think, Kate, that like obviously it's people who are obese and they actually eat less and they just lose some body fat? they're going to see improvements in their health markers anyway, just from losing the weight. So it's not like, it's not specifically the fasting that's making the difference. It's just the fact that they've, they're like, you know, 40, 50% body fat. You're going to have all these health issues. So if you just, even if you eat shit food and lose some weight, you're going to probably see an improvement in some of those health markers anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. You absolutely yeah. will. Right. I mean, and, and, and that was part of when you, when, the, when you read the study, when you actually look is that the people that were in the 10 hour window just ate less yeah. than the people so in the 14 hour not, window. It's because they, so eat less. yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. not. And so when you want to, when you want to look at fasting is like, is it fasting or is it what fasting brings with it? Meaning yeah. if you just isolate fasting, then I should, then I should be able to go, okay, well, if that in that fasting window, I need to be able to eat the exact same amount exactly. of calories, the exact yeah. same amount of food that the person did in the 14 hour window. And I have to eat the same amount in the 10 hour window. Right. And so then it, then if you get the exact same result, then that would be maybe fasting. But yeah. but what fasting does is it usually makes people eat less because the yeah. window is smaller. And yeah. so it's usually the eating less that is creating the benefit over the actual fasting. Right. And the other thing that and then we've talked about before that fasting does is if you're eating really shitty foods and you have a lot of GI problems and, you know, there's a lot of just crap in your diet and now you eat less of that and you're eating in a less window, then, you know, you might benefit from just less irritating things in your GI. And mm. that alone can also create another health benefit, right? Because if you have a lot of GI inflammation and you just remove all those things, you're going to feel better. And that's part of why a ketogenic diet can work or some of these mm. non-carbohydrate fiber diets, even carnivore being touted for how they help improve people with autoimmune issues. And they mm. do, but it's nothing specific other than the removing the irritants. Yeah. And so you can still remove irritants and still eat carbohydrates. You just don't eat carbohydrate irritants. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, so the, the question is, is it always the fast? And every 
every study that I got through, it was mm. at the end of the study, it always showed they ate less. Yeah. The and when you stayed in the window, yeah. ate less. And when you're so obese, when you just eat less and lose some weight, you're going to see health improvements. Yeah. Yeah. That's 100% yeah. correct. I could probably put someone, if you're eating, let's just say you're super obese and you're eating 10,000 calories a day. Yeah. Right. And I give you 5,000 calories a day of, of McDonald's and you lose sure. weight. You're going to see weight. improvements. That's right. Yeah. For the most part. Now, yeah. if you kept doing that diet forever, then yeah, that would be a problem. But if your body is burning 8,000 calories at that point in time and you give you five and I, you start mm. losing weight, then mm. even a shitty food diet can help you do that. And so mm. it's not, doesn't mean that your food quality isn't important at this point in time. It just means in that short of a period of time, because most of these studies that are done on humans are short, yeah. 12 weeks, right? And so they're just giving you that little bit of time. But what we want to know is this is a sustainable approach for yeah. your life. Because again, if, if whatever you're choosing isn't sustainable for you, yeah. then it's probably not going to work for you long term. And I'm not saying if, you know, if, if people are healthy and they want to use intermittent fasting as a tool to go into a deficit for a specific goal and that's what works for them, mm. fine then whatever. Or for religious purposes, you like fasting, great, go ahead and do it. Or if you want to do it to test your mind, great, you know, do it and, and rest and, and do all of it. But to live a lifestyle where you're, you're having to do these different fasts during your cycles for different reason, because progesterone loves carbs and estrogen doesn't, right? There's no scientific for any of that. And so, it's and, 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 yeah. yeah. She says like, you know, can you see why so many have become smitten with fasting? Not only are you burning energy from fat, accelerating weight loss, lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, insulin, but the more you, often you access this fat burning state, the more repair can happen in your body. It's like, well, that's not what's happened in this. Like you're saying that all of these, like if these people, like you said, let's just say that these people didn't fast, but they went on a calorie restricted, like ate less food and lost the body fat, they probably would have seen the same improvements. Yeah. And yeah. one of the words that goes along with fasting is always autophagy. Like I was going to say, yeah, talk about, Craig was talking about that actually when we were talking, I was reading the book and saying, oh my God, there's so many things in this book. And he was talking about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, an autophagy is like your cells mm -hmm. clean up mechanism, right? Because cleaning it up. And, and mm -hmm. certainly if you do fast or starve, you do increase autophagy. And I always look at it like, you know, yeah, because you're breaking more things down, you do need more yeah. cleanup. So That's what Craig said too, it's basically, you're putting your body in this stress state to, and it breaks more things. So therefore your body has to clean up more basically. Yeah. 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 You're like going in and messing up your room just so you mm. can clean it up. I mean, yeah. so it's like, so, and it's not autophagy is, but you, you autophagy occurs in, you don't have to fast mm. in a sense. It, it's occurring during the day. It's just mm. occurring, you know, even while you're eating, it's occurring, mm. it just occurs in a much less amount and it occurs while you're sleeping but yeah. yes it does increase now the number for humans as far as when you upregulate autophagy is really unclear because i think most of the information we have right now is done on rats and so you know it's unsure if that's happening at the 24 hour mark or the 72 mm -hmm. hour mark i'm not tr sure that we know really when it's upregulating as in humans, I don't know if we have actual trials on that and someone, mm -hmm. if they, they have some sort of uh, information, certainly let us know. But from my understanding, most of the stuff that we get 
from autophagy is on a lot of rat trials, mm. you know, and, and also the sense of, you know, when we, we say fasting helps with cancer, you know, and, and the thing is that most, if not all, in fact, I actually quoted a lot of the trials that she quoted in here when it came to that. And, you know, at the end of these studies, it said things like due to limited clinical research, the effects of intermittent fasting on cl clinically relevant cancer related effects remains unclear. There's presently little evidence that intermittent fasting without any reduction of body weight and proper balanced diet and exercise can enhance cancer outcomes. Mm. So um, the effects of the role, the effects of the role of intermittent fasting and cancer prevention is mainly from preclinical data derived from cell lines and animal models and lacks uniformly in its conclusiveness. Mm. So, I think you have to be careful when you make those kind of claims because, you know, cancer is pretty serious and mm -hmm. cancer is a wasting disease, meaning it just starts can eat you. And to try to go on a fast when your body is wasting itself is probably not a very good idea. You know, normally the recommendation is, yeah, you should be eating because it is a wasting. Your body is trying to burn and break down, you know, and, and cancer can consume glucose at a very high rate and that is absolutely true but humans are not petri dishes you can't mm. just remove the sugar and the cancer goes away if if cancer consumes glucose at a very high amount and you don't give yourself glucose it just says hey muscle <laughs> i'll break you down and consume you but cancer can also use ketones and fat or other resources to fuel itself so it doesn't limit it to just glucose right that's that's just not how it works. So to, to say you should fast when your body is in a wasting disease, in my opinion, might not be a very good thing to do. Mm. And so I, and it's not to say there are, there are a lot of trials going on right now with fasting and different research in humans, but I, they're not out and they're not conclusive. Mm. So we will see to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to not give people nutrients and fuel when mm. they, when they have something so stressful going on in their body, mm. um, you know, but that's me. Mm. Mm. Right. All right. Next, uh, the ketones. So she says, um, can you comment on this? That ketones are reparative, meaning they will go into certain tissues in your body and regenerate them. Specifically, they repair nervous tissue. So, it seems in that community, there's a statement that the ketones are the, a better source for your brain than glucose. And I, and I guess it's because per weight, you can actually derive more ATP per kilogram of ketones versus kilogram of glucose. Mm. Although one molecule of ketones produces much less ATP than one molecule of mm. Wait a minute, one, one molecule of a ketone, well, yes, will produce less ATP than one molecule of glucose. So I can't specific, I, I have tried to understand where and how they're making that statement because there is a statement that it's the preferred source for your brain. But the, mm. here's the thing, your brain only starts using ketones under stress and starvation. Mm. And yet your brain cannot thrive or live on hundred percent ketones. I think it's like maybe 60, 70%. So your brain is still needs glucose. So where they're getting that in a, I, I honestly couldn't tell you, I wish I could give you a, a better understanding of where they're coming from, but my thoughts are 
your brain's preferred source is always going to be glucose until you go into a state of stress or starvation, will it revert mm. to the other resources? Mm. So I don't know why you would say that that would be the preferred or the better resource. Mm. Okay. Cool. But also the thing about that, it, it regenerates and it repairs tissue. I don't know if that's just going into the autophagy or maybe in the sense of somebody, right. I, I guess it comes in it like, what context are we saying that in? Is it the context mm -hmm. of that individual is unable to utilize glucose properly at that point of time? And so removing that substance and giving them ketones yeah. might, 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 that might happen, right? Yeah. I mean, and it, I always say like glucose doesn't create glucose impairment. Mm. The, the body's being stressed creates glucose impairment. It's just the glucose ends up being there. Mm. So yes, there are bodies that do not utilize glucose properly, but the reasons for that isn't because they're over glucose on some level, right? Mm. Unless they're just over consuming, over consuming, over consuming. It's normally because the body's mechanisms and there's reasons for the, the body unable to utilize that resource. And that can be from endotoxins, nutrition deficiencies, mm. um, heavy metals or iron that's mm. inhibiting cellular respiration, respiration, mm. uh, excessive fat in the blood that's inhibiting the glucose from getting in there. So there's a lot of other different mechanisms of, as to why someone can't utilize glucose, but mm. it's usually not being caused by that. And, and I think when you do look at researchers that have put people on a very, very high carbohydrate diet, um, 95% carbohydrates, like the rice diet, and they've cured people of all these diabetic issues, kidney problems, right? We can see that, okay, it's not necessarily the glucose. There's something else inhibiting that process from happening. Mm. Oh, the next one I was going to ask you about, are you happy to keep going? Like some of these, sure. yeah. So yeah. The, the next decreases gl glycogen and insulin stores. There were just some things in here that she said, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And just, I was like, I'm going to ask Kate about this. Yeah. Um. So she talks about that when you've been eating a high sugar diet for years, your body has to store all of that extra sugar somewhere. And there's three places in your body. It puts it muscles, the liver, and that your body stores glycogen in your fat cells. <laughs> no, that's not true. That is not true. It doesn't store you don't, fat, Yeah. No, it doesn't. No, no you no. store glycogen in the liver, in the, liver and the, so in the kidneys and the muscles. Yeah. yeah. You don't store yeah. glycogen in your in fat. Cells, you store okay. fat in your fat and toxins. Yeah. And this, this bit too. So, and you want to get that excess glycogen out of your liver. Your liver is one of the hardest working organs in your body. It's burning fat, breaking down hormones and making lots of good cholesterol to fuel your brain. Once inundated with sugar, your liver becomes inefficient at these pivotal sure. jobs, which can lead to diabetes, fatty lizard, high cholesterol, fasting is fabulous way to get the liver to release excess glycogen so it can function at its best. And it's like, no. well... Your body needs glycogen. Your liver needs glycogen to convert inactive thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone, right? So that's right. Yeah, like that that yeah. that is just a. And, I, your, I was, and your liver can use both fat and and sugar for resources to run it. It cannot. Interesting enough, it can't use ketones. Like mm. your liver can make ketones, but it cannot mm. use it to function. So it's not used as an energy source. So glycogen is and fat are the things that your their liver your, your liver uses to run it right? Mm. Along with B vitamins, it also needs protein. So those are the resources that, and, and for a lot of people, right, your, your liver storage of glycogen is what keeps your blood sugar regulated when you're not eating. So mm. if it's zero, you are going to have hypoglycemia, 
or you're going to go into a stress response. So it's not that you want to deplete, right? You can't obliterate your blood sugar, <laughs> right? If it goes too low, you die. Mm. And so it's pretty important to have some level of blood sugar. And so mm. if your liver is your main source of getting that regulated and you obliterate that, what, what are you going to use? Yeah. So then your body's going to go, hey, let's break down protein. Again, anything protein-wise, that's going to help regulate your blood sugar. And that's going to come at a stress response. And then she says, in addition to ridding yourself of glycogen liver, by fasting, you'll get rid of all the sugar that got stored in those fat cells and was left there for future use. Fasting gives your cells a reason to use the sugar. This is why so many fasters get lasting weight loss results. They're finally able to undo all the damage from the previous diets. I'm like, that is just... Right. And she, and she makes it kind of sound like, like sugar is this toxin being held in your system that you have to release yeah. and it's yeah. held in your fat cells. Yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't happen. Like that's, I it mean, I, I was like reading that and I yeah. had to read it a few times Same. and I'm like, that, that actually doesn't happen. Like you don't, that's not how it works. And so I got a little confused, but that's yeah. right. Yeah. Like sugar or glycogen is, is all it is a stored sugar. It's all stored glucose and it's, it's a good thing. Like your mm. muscles use it for quick energy and your body regulates with it. And right. It's actually doesn't get stored as fat. In fact, it's good to, you know, that's why you can eat a considerable amount of carbohydrates. If you had a hundred percent carbohydrate diet and you ate over what your body would burn, you, you don't store that as fat initially. You just store it as glycogen. Right. And so it takes a considerable amount of overconsumption with carbohydrates to really store and, and gain fat. It's mm. only when we eat the carbs with a lot of fat, fat. do we yeah. actually store more as fat. And it's the fat that turns to fat. In fact, when we actually look, the, the fat that you have stored on your body is primarily coming from fat, not carbohydrate. Mm. It's a very low conversion. The carbs turn into fat. It's the fat that turns to fat. And what about this bit? <laughs> um, like it does with extra glucose, your body has to store. So hang on. Excess glucose is not the only thing your cells release when you fast. Fasting also forces your body to release excess insulin. As mentioned in the previous chapter, insulin spikes every time you eat. If you eat high sugar, high carbohydrate, high, high, high carbohydrate, high carb meal, you will experience a large insulin spike. Do this several times a day for years and you end up flooding your cells with insulin, thus making them insulin resistant. Like it does with extra glucose, your body has to store this excess insulin somewhere. So it packs it away in your liver and fat. Once again, the more you put yourself in a fasted state, the more you force your body to go find this insulin stores and metabolize them for excretion. All of that, this is like jibbly jabbly jubbly. I mean, I, I was like, I don't understand. <clears throat> yes, when you eat carbohydrates, insulin elevates. Not necessarily it spikes. It will elevate Every time you eat carbohydrates, that's what it's supposed to do. It will mm -hmm. also elevate when you eat protein because it, mm -hmm. because for you to get your amino acids into the cell, you also need insulin. Like insulin's not bad. It's being mm -hmm. like the devil. Like, oh my God, every time you have an insulin increase, you're going to become insulin resistant. And that's not exactly what's happening either. Mm -hmm. You know, like from my perspective, you become insulin resistant is more of a symptom of your cells inability to get glucose into the cell. And that's coming from more of a high cortisol state, excess estrogen can create that, endotoxins, excessively high fat in the blood. And that, then high fat ends up in the blood usually because the body's under stress. When your body's under stress and you have elevated cortisol, your body releases sugar, glucose and fat into the blood. 
When that happens repeatedly over and over and over and over, you end up having excessively high fat in the blood. And we know that because diabetics have higher fat in the blood. And so when you eat high carbohydrate, carbohydrate diets and even more fat, then there becomes this competition, which they refer to as the Randall cycle, that the, that the cells don't, can't use the carbohydrates as well. And so they stay in the blood mm. and look like high blood sugar. And that, of course, high blood sugar is going to elevate insulin. And then the insulin elevates and the sugar can't get into the cell. So the insulin keeps elevating, keeps elevating until eventually you get insulin resistance. But mm. that's a symptom, not the problem. That's not creating the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. Next. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, I, there's times when I, I read, I don't know, this is like, because this is not a, probably a good book for you to read at night because you had to really go like, what? Yeah, like, like they, is they that what happened? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, I I got, I mean, it was just a little bit confusing and I'm like, but that like isn't what's happening. And and, the, yeah. and a lot of the reasons I don't like when they promote these, it, you know, it makes you think that like insulin is this horrible, horrible, bad, exactly. You never should elevate yeah. insulin ever. And yeah that that's not the case at all. I mean, all of these hormones have a reason and purpose and they're all there to keep you alive. And stress mm. hormones are there to keep you alive. If you didn't have them, you would die when you didn't have enough fuel, right? Like we have all these backup systems in our body to keep us going. Mm. But when we're repeatedly under stress and in the world we're into now, in a world we are just inundated with stress all day long and then we don't eat enough or we fast all day long and we don't eat carbohydrates, mm. that induces more stress on the system. And when you're young, that can result in weight loss and you actually might feel pretty good. And that could result in actually something good. As you age, in my opinion, unless you have an excessively high amount of body fat to lose, right? And people that fast and they start losing more body fat, that will make them feel better. But in time, I don't think, and I've seen it, that usually ends up making these women feel mm -hmm tired, fatigued, hair starts falling out and all these other things start happening. Mm. Yep. So, um, okay. Where are okay. we? Up? Did you leave me a message? Yeah. I just said, I think we, yeah. we're going to need to break this podcast into part one and part two. Yeah. Right. I know. I have a because thing too. long. It. Like I didn't realize like how much shit there is in the book. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually stopped, like I got to those and then I was just like, I just can't anymore. Um, mm. Because, you know, this one is going to, for me to go through the whole book, I was like, well, I just got kind of a little disinterested, to be honest yes. with you. <laughs> I was like, this is just like, uh, I mean, I think, I think the bottom line is, if somebody's watching this, I go, <clears throat> bottom line is the majority of the benefits that you get from fasting are usually coming from a calorie deficit and just removal of irritants to your GI because there's there's not any controlled trials that kind of attest to that. Mm. And so there's no magic with more autophagy and more cleansing and more of any of this. It's just, there isn't. Mm. And <clears throat> if you choose to fast, then my suggestion is make sure you are a healthy individual. And if you're doing it, then on those days, do very little work, very mm. little everything. And, you know, if, but do you have to fast to get healthy? Absolutely not right? It's, it's not, you, you do fast every night when you go to bed, but it's not a necessary thing. You know, you can eat to support your system and, and which 
ultimately, if you're eating, you have now the resources to create energy and then that energy supports your system, mm. right? If you're not eating anything, you're only producing energy because your body's breaking down tissue and it's never just breaking down your fat and using that. It just isn't. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You probably don't need to do part two. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll see. Maybe you put those out and see what happens. Yeah. And be like, if anybody wants us to go through the rest, maybe yeah. we will. <laughs> but, you know, the bottom line, there's no magic. There's no magic to cycling and fasting to your cycle. There's just mm. nothing. There's no mm. science behind that. That's like what you should be doing. Um, if you want to fast, great, but you don't need to. And the mm. benefits are, you know, look, if you eat to support your cycle and you're eating enough, then you can do whatever the hell you want. Mm. You're it. Mm. That's my that's my experience in my opinion <laughs> agree with working with the thousands of women that we've worked with over the years yeah mm. i mean you need nutrients and energy to support your body not nothing and <laughs> like again fasting can be a tool for certain things but i'm not sure i would make a lifestyle of it to benefit you in the long term you know awesome well okay Thanks again, Kate, for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. It's good. <laughs> and, and as always, guys, um, take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. And then each month, each month, I pick a winner and they get a tub of Satray Premium Collagen. And we will see you again next time. <laughs>